It is uh, a crazy time that we're living in. It's a kind of a thrill for me to be doing this. For the first time ever, I'm on social media of some sort. I have never done anything except a little bit of practice the other night. This is the first time for me. So I want you to relax. And those of you who don't have a shirt on, put one on. You can get out of bed. You can get up with your family, and we are worshiping together. The exciting thing for me about this, I want to make sure that we all understand this. None of us wanted to have to go to this. But at the same time, we've been asked by the President of the United States, by the Governor of this state, by every mayor in our municipality and all around. We've been asked as good citizens for a temporary period of time to worship this way. And the beautiful thing about, we've been talking about in our sermon series on Sunday mornings, the attributes of our God. And one of those that's very apropos for where we are in this moment, particularly right now at 11.06 on Sunday morning, March 22nd, 2020, is our God is omnipresent. He's here in our auditorium at Christ Church Arlington. But he's also in your home, in every home that is participating in churches all over. Our world is in chaos right now, but our God is not. He's still omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's still omniscient. He knows everything. He's still omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And so we're worshiping today. We're just doing it in a different way. We're doing it in a way that none of us wanted to do. But at the same time, we are worshiping. And so as we do this together, I want you to relax and and get your family together if you haven't already. Hopefully you've been with Peter and the worship team. I appreciate them being here and Steve behind the camera and Stan and Sound and Paul recording. I appreciate them being here. But more than that, I appreciate who our father is. We think about who our daddy is and we've been talking about who's your daddy We're going to continue to talk about that. Just a couple of comments I want to make, and then we're going to to get into God's word. Is I want you, along with us, as we think about who our daddy is, to realize we just need to trust him. I think sometimes when you live in a chaotic moment like we are in as the United States of America, and really the entire world in many ways is in panic, some of you are hurting physically, as a result of this coronavirus. Some of you are hurting financially as a result of what it's doing. Mentally, we're all struggling and hurting, maybe even spiritually. But keep coming back to your dad is in control. He is sovereign. There is no virus that he's not bigger than. He already knows how he's going to get us through this. And he always says to us, I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm your dad. You crawl up in my arms and you trust me. So we're worshiping in a different way, but we're worshiping. And so what I want us to do is just pause for a moment in your homes. Those of us that are here, let's stop for a moment and pray. And we're going to get into God's word. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you that you're God. We thank you beyond that, that you're our God. 
We thank you for the person of Jesus Christ. We just thank you for how you love us, how you take care of us. Now, Father, you empower us to be a witness for you. And even in a difficult time, Peter was talking about many are without hope, and yet you are the God of all hope. And so, Lord, today, as we think about you being the God who comforts, we would relax in that, we would rest in that, and as you tell us in your word, we trust you because you are the God who is trustworthy. So we commit our time together around your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40, major prophet in the Old Testament. And what we're going to talk about today from Isaiah 40, as we look at these attributes of God, we're going to focus in on today that our God is the God of comfort. That is the voice of comfort to us. Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century said these words, great preacher said these words. The proper study of the Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the doings, and the existence of the great God which he calls his Father. There is something exceedingly improving in the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It's a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity. It's so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can comprehend and grapple with, in them we feel a kind of self-content and go our way with the thought. Behold, I am wise. But when we come to this master science, finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth and that our eagle eye cannot see its height, we turn away with the thought, I am but of yesterday and I know nothing. And I think if nothing else in this incredible, terrible, crisis, chaotic world that we are currently living in, it's a great reminder that I'm not God. It's a great reminder that I need God. It's a great reminder I can't control everything. That we were rocking along in our stock market in one month has lost everything it gained in 2019 and more. I can't control the future. I can't control something I can't even see. Our president has said we're at war with an invisible foe. But in Jesus Christ, we already have the victory. So the reminder in this horrific moment is I can't control everything. The other reminder is I could lose everything. So above all else, I as a believer and you as believers and in your family, we need to come coming back to as Christians that I can trust my dad. I can trust my God because my daddy is in control. In Exodus 15, the Bible says this, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You see, all the attributes of God are permanent. He's not sometimes this and sometimes that. He's eternally, permanently, all of his attributes that we're going to be and have been and will continue to talk about. His holiness, his righteousness, his love. His wrath, his mercy, his justice, his holiness, his patience, his graciousness. All of those things God is simultaneously. 
So as children of the great God of the universe, maybe it's time that we just step back and reflect on who our dad is. Every funeral that I officiate at, I share these verses from 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. End quote. We're all hurting right now in different ways. Some from physically from the virus, as we talked about earlier, in many different ways. But we all have the same dad in Christ. We can comfort each other and be there for one another and love one another. This is a tremendous time for the church to be the church. For us to love our neighbors, for us to reach out, even if it's just through email or social media or texting or the old-fashioned phone call. Maybe you can't physically be in the presence of someone that you love, but you can call them, email them, get on, FaceTime them, and let them know, I love you and I'm praying for you and what else, how else can I pray for you? And even your neighbors who don't know Christ, what a great opportunity to share with them the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. So as we get to Isaiah 40, what you're looking at here is your daddy who is the God of all comfort. Isaiah 40 is known as the chapter where you get the voice of comfort from God. The context of Isaiah chapter 40 is you're going to hear God's voice is this. Isaiah was written about 700 BC and the, the, um, northern kingdom of Israel had gone into captivity into Syria and the southern kingdom of Israel which was called Judah was about a hundred pardon me <clears throat> about a hundred years away from their captivity under Babylon and so Isaiah is prophesying to them in chapters 1 through 39 that this is what's going to happen if you don't repent if you don't turn back to God if you don't give up your sinful ways and turn to God and worship him and honor him and love him and trust him there's going to be punishment coming. And about 100 years later, it came. And its prophecy was Babylon's going to come. Jerusalem, the temple, are going to be in ruins. Judea is going to be desolate. It's going to be a wasteland. The punishment that your dad is going to have to lay on you and the consequence is coming. And it did come, and it lasted 70 years. When you get to Isaiah 40, He's now prophesying about the end of the Babylonian captivity. And he's saying to them, your God is now going to restore you. He's going to use Cyrus of Persia to let you go home. You're going to go back to the land. It's going to be desolate. You're going to go back to, to Jerusalem. It's gone. There is no temple. But you're going to rebuild the temple. And you're going to rebuild Jerusalem. This is your future. God hasn't forgotten you. Because that's the mindset many had in Babylon that God has forgotten us. What they have forgotten is that they were in Babylon as a result of their own sin. So about 100 years after Isaiah's own death, it happened. So you get to chapter 40, and there's a shift. Is that there's hope. That there's hope. Because your God is God. 
So look at chapter 40, verse 1. First thing I want you to notice, your daddy's voice of comfort from Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 1, is that he makes a promise to his children. Look at verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, exclamation point, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So what you see here contextually in verses 1 through 11, that God is, God is making them a promise. And here's his promise. is I'm going to restore you. I'm going to save you from your captivity in Babylon. I'm going to take you home. And the phrase there in chapter 40, verse 1, where he says, comfort, comfort my people, in the original language, in the Hebrew in which it was originally written, means speak to their very hearts, intimate, loving sincere comfort to their the depths of their being i know they're discouraged and i know they're down i know they're depressed and i know they're suffering but remind them that their daddy knows applicably for us in this moment where we are as a nation and as a world and as the church of jesus christ we can say there is comfort Our God is still God. He hasn't abdicated the throne. He hasn't stepped aside. He's still God. And he will carry us through this. He's already on the other side. He will get us through. In the moment, it's an opportunity for us to glorify him, to honor him, and to share him with a desperate, seeking world. To say to them, there is hope. There is comfort. There is a God who cares. So as you get to, again, Isaiah chapter 40, notice in verse 2, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Remember, they're, when he's looking forward to, they're in Babylon. Jerusalem is gone, looking down the road. He's saying, remember, Jerusalem is yours. You're Jewish exiles. I know you're in Babylon, but I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to let you go home, back to your land, and Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. The temple is going to be rebuilt, and he will worship me again. Look at verse 2 one more time. Speak comfort to Jerusalem, cry out to her. Number one, her warfare is ended. Number two, her iniquity is pardoned. Number three, she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So what he's saying to them, I told you contextually in this segment, he's saying, I'm going to save you. His first focus here is forgiveness. Literally, when we talk about being saved and salvation, that's the essence of it, is that in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. They are forgotten. They're remembered no more. Christ said, it is finished. So he says, her warfare is ended. Your iniquity is pardoned. She's received double for all her sins. This is a magnificent picture in the custom, Eastern custom in which this was written. Here's the custom. If I owed a debt, that I could not pay, then my creditor would nail a piece of paper or nail words to my front door to let the public know I was a debtor who could not pay his creditors. Someone else comes along and pays my debt, then the creditor would double the piece of paper over and nail it to the same door And when they saw the doubled piece of paper nailed to the door, it said to them, debt 
paid in full. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 2 again. Comfort to Jerusalem. Cry out to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God had punished them. Here's what he's saying. As someone who trusts me, your sin is pardoned. Your iniquity, your sin is pardoned. It's doubled. It's paid in full. And if you're like me, you're remembering Jesus Christ hanging on the cross and saying those incredible words, it is finished. When he said those words in the original language, it means debt paid in full. This is a picture, again, of the coming Messiah and what he was going to do. Not only were they going to go back to Jerusalem, Judea, and rebuild the temple, but down the road, God was going to pardon their sins through the death, burial, the resurrection of the Messiah. God's voice of comfort, I'm going to save you. So number one, I'm going to forgive your sins. But number two, I want you to see my glory. Verse three. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Immediate context in which Isaiah writes these words. God is going to, and he's prophesying, is going to use Babylon to discipline Judah. Talked about that. But now he's going to restore them and let them go home like he did with the exodus from Egypt. He brought them out of bondage in Egypt and set them free, headed to the promised land. He's going to bring Judah out of bondage in Babylon and let them go home to Zion to rebuild the temple and worship God again. Now then we're going to have to go from Babylon back to Judea through a desolate wasteland. No pathways. And notice what he says in verses 3 through 5. Very famous verses. God is going to make a way. God's going to make a path. And the idea is, look at verse 3. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be exalted. Every mountain hill hill brought low. The crooked places made straight and the rough places smooth. So they were going to go back home, and again, through a desolate wasteland. In the culture of that day, when a king was preparing to go somewhere, his entourage would go before him, and they would make the way smooth. Look at the four steps of restoration in verse 4. Number one, every valley will be exalted. The encouragement there in the picture is, if it's a low area, it will be lifted up. So the pathway is smooth. Every mountain will be brought low. If it needs to be humbled, it will be humbled. The encouragement, humbling, break that mountain down so the path will be smooth. The crooked places will be made smooth, straight, smooth. Whatever has to happen so that the king has a smooth pathway will happen. Notice verse 4 again. Every valley exalted, every mountain hill brought low, the crooked places made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord will be revealed that all flesh shall see it together. The Lord talked about the pathway of the king. One of the terms that's used to describe Jesus Christ is that not only is he the Lord, he's the king of kings. 
And now I know you know that these verses, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness is a picture and a prophecy of one coming in the future to announce the coming of the Messiah, and that was John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, the Bible says this. This is a testimony of John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Remember, he was baptizing and all kinds of people were coming to him and he was preaching repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. When they said to him, well, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, quoting Isaiah 40, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John the Baptist said, I am that voice that God said. And we see, you see it also in the prophet Malachi. I am the voice crying in the wilderness. He was out there baptizing, announcing the king has come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Also, again, look at verse 5. The glory of the Lord. The Hebrew there where it says the glory of the Lord means, quote, the consolation. The consolation of Israel. That's one of the things that Jesus was called. Going to see the glory of God. In Luke chapter 2, this is, there's a story. This is 40 days after the birth of Jesus Christ. So he's obviously an infant. Luke chapter 2. So talking about Mary. And it says, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord at the temple. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, the firstborn. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, a believer, waiting for, quote, the consolation of Israel. That's exactly what he's talking about here in Isaiah 40. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, Simeon. It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. When Isaiah prophesies 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord or the consolation of Israel, he is going to restore them to the land, but he's also sending the Messiah. And Simeon says, you are the Lord's Christ, you are the consolation you are God's salvation. You are light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. So many different things here, but two that I want to focus on. One is the glory of Israel, the reason God called them out, the, the, the chosen ones, to bring the Messiah. Yes, they were in being punished, and yes, they were in Babylon, and yes, they've been sent to Assyria, the ten tribes, the two southern tribes are now in Babylon. But he said, I haven't forgotten you, and I haven't given up on you, and I'm still doing something. I'm going to 
bring the consolation for Israel, the glory so, so that those will see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the world will see that that God is God. And you notice when Simeon picks up the infant child, Jesus, and he says, Lord, I can now die in peace because I've seen your salvation. I've seen the consolation. I've seen that it's for the Gentiles also. That God's salvation brought historically through the nation of Israel was for all people. You fast forward to the end of time and all believers from all time are gathered together in the eternal state. And here's how it's described from every tribe, tongue, nation on earth. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, the glory of God. Now verse 6 the good news, or the good tidings. So the voice said, the voice of our daddy, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain of O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, Judah, coming back from Babylon. Behold the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arms shall rule for him. Behold his reward is with him and his work before him. God's good tidings, good news. I'm going to walk through this. Before we do, I want to stop for a moment. I want you to think. Good tidings, good tidings. I love to meditate on scripture and the phrases that are used and the beautiful poetry, particularly in the Old Testament that you see. We see stuff repeated like this. It's called Hebrew parallelism and it's there for emphasis. Now, he was talking about a difficult time. They'd been owned by the Babylonians for 70 years, but what he's saying is, is there's a time coming. You're going home, and you've got good news to share, not just with fellow Jews, but with the Gentiles. Good tidings, good tidings. For us, in the midst of this coronavirus and, and the difficulty that our world faces, we have good news. We have good news. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. That he loves us. He has saved us. Like he saved Israel. He saved us. Our world desperately needs salvation. God has a reminder for us. I am. I've not changed. I'm here. I love you. I provided salvation for you through my son, Jesus Christ. It's good news. We're surrounded by perpetually, not only are we hearing bad news daily, we're living it by the very fact we can't leave our homes, that we can't do the things we need to do. We can't make money. We can't function. We're surrounded by, we're just in the depths of, Bad news. 
And yet that beacon above it all is that there's good news in the person of Jesus Christ. If nothing else, for those of us that are Christians, I bet your prayer life has intensified. I bet it has. I know mine has. I know our elders has that we've agonized over decisions, even just like what we're doing here today. That was not an, we didn't want to do this. But as good citizens, do the right thing. We're doing it. A lot of hard, tough decisions. People having to lay off employees. They don't want to do that. Or maybe you can't even go to work. Maybe you're an hourly employee and you live paycheck to paycheck or even salaried and you, you have to work. I have a friend that owns a company. If he's not out hands-on doing his work, he doesn't make money, yet he can't go out. A lot of the places he deals with are closed. But in the midst of all the bad news, there's good tidings, joy, peace. And they announce Jesus' birth, good tidings, glad news, joy to the world. The Savior has come. We have something to share that's good news. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Look at it just briefly again. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what do you want me to cry? God, God says, you tell Isaiah, you tell him this flesh is grass. It's loveliness is like the flower of the field. It withers and it fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. People are grass. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Here's God's reassurance to his people, what he wants them to understand. In your own human strength, you're going to fade, you're going to wither, you're going to encounter things you can't fix, like a coronavirus. You try, you try. Sometimes the things you just can't contemplate, you can't figure out, you can't conquer. But, look at the end of verse 8 again. I love my favorite word in the Bible, but the word of our God stands Forever. Forever. So here's my reassurance to you. In your own human strength, you're going to fail. You're going to wither. But keep coming back to me, to your word, to your Father's word. You trust it. You trust him. Look at verse 9. O Zion, you who bring the good tidings, get up on the high mountain of Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, Zion, Jerusalem, the Holy Land. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand. His arm will rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him. Trust your dad. Trust him. He's got a strong hand. He's got a reward He's your dad. So then look at verse 11. I love verse 11. He's saying, I got good news for you. I got good news for the world. But on a very personal, intimate level, I'm going to care for you. Verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and he'll carry them in his bosom. 
And he'll gently lead those who are with young. Don't be afraid. Verse 9, don't be afraid. Behold your God. You share that good news with strength. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. You see in verse 10, our God is sovereign. He's powerful. He's the judge. But then you see him in verse 11. He's not only the sovereign judge from verse 10, but in verse 11, he's the shepherd. He's tender. He's caring. He's gently leading his sheep. That's us. Jesus said these words, I am the good shepherd. The one who lays down his life for his sheep. Psalm 23 David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now look at verse 11 again in Isaiah 40. He will feed his flock. He will gather them in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. And he will gently lead those who are pregnant. He said, I'm going to care for you gently, tenderly, protectively. I promise to you, I'm going to take care of you. Jesus, on a very personal level, please meditate on this with me for just a moment. On a very personal level, Jesus said these words. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? Not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Your daddy's promise. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to love you. Why? Because I'm your dad. I love you. And I think as we think about what we're going through, again, as a nation and as a world and all that we face God is reminding us through his voice of comfort, I'm here and there is hope. I want to share this story with you and then we're going to pray and I'm going to come back and share my heart. Victor Frankl, who was a Jewish doctor in World War II and he was in the German concentration camps during World War II, and he wrote about his experience in that and his incredible book. And in particular, his focus in the book was on hope. What he noticed was that prisoners who lost hope just withered up and died, while some stayed strong, and the ones who stayed strong were the ones who had hope. Quote, if a prisoner lost faith in his future, he was doomed. One of my friends in the camp had a dream that the war would end March 30th. And he was convinced the dream was a revelation, but as the date drew nearer, it became clear from the news reports that the war was not ending. On March 29th, he began running a temperature. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. On March March 31st, he died. His loss of hope had lowered his body's resistance to all the diseases in the camp. You literally can't live without hope. You can't stay healthy without something to look forward to. 
Depression is linked to hopelessness. Hopelessness. You've heard me say many times, my favorite word in scripture, I know I say it's but, my favorite word in scripture to describe what it means to be a Christian is the word hope. That we confidently expect our God to come through because he always does. Not necessarily in the way we want him to. Nobody wants to deal with coronavirus. But God has not stopped being God. He loves us. He genuinely loves us. We are his children like you love your children. God loves exponentially more. That's why we call him Father. Let's pray and then I want to share my heart with you in some practical ways. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us. You take care of us. You're always going to be there for us. You do not change. You are immutable or an incredible fault. You also are omnipotent. You're all-powerful. We realize, Father, you know the outcome of the coronavirus. We do not. We trust you. We ask for wisdom and handling what we have to handle. We ask for compassion for others. We ask for opportunities to share the gospel, to livingly, lovingly live out the truth and the hope that we have in you. We pray we would be people of faith, not just using it as a term, but in a difficult, hard time in our world, in our very neighborhoods, that we could be salt and light. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So now here's where we are. It seems like daily it gets worse. We don't know what's going to happen. What we do know is that there are people we need to be praying for. You need to pray for the President of the United States. You need to pray for the leaders of our nation. You need to pray for those that are actively, so many places, actively working on this horrific virus. Pray for them. Also pray for the leaders of our nation and the leaders locally, whether it's the states or the mayors. Pray for them, for wisdom to lead properly as we look at our economy, as we look at, at, at our health. What's the best thing to do? And then finally, I want to ask you to pray for the elders of your church. That we would, as we have been doing, agonizing over and seeking God's face to do what's right. What do we need to do as good citizens and as leaders of Christ's church? We're going to minister in every way we can and continuing. We're going to be there. Yes, temporarily, we're going to do Sunday mornings like this. We're still going to be there to love, to care for, minister in every way that we can. So we ask for wisdom. We ask you to pray for us. And on a very practical level, we have to continue to go forward and minister. It requires money. So I'm asking you to continue to give. You can give online. You can give through the mail. You can drop it off at the church, in the mailbox, wherever you need to do it. We love you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. God bless.